0: you hot hot heat for that intro. I just thought to myself today the intro is going to be something that I enjoy. That was for me, all right? Little hot hot heat to to start episode 63 of Comic Book Movie Guy the podcast. Today's format is going to be very simple but very daunting. And I'll tell you why. We're going to be doing situations in film when when we the audience know that the villain has the power and the villain knows they have the power so we're going to get right into it and we're going to do an episode on when the villains have the power
1: are too quick you can't savor all the little emotions
0: you see in
1: their last moments people show you who they really are
0: so yeah obviously we're gonna start with Heath Ledger there's no other way of really putting it other than the fact that Heath Ledger is the very best to do it in the villain role we got Joaquin Phoenix a few years later and I was thinking about putting his little um, his little scene with Robert De Niro at the end of Todd Phillips' Joker. Where he's, how about another joke, Murray? But, you know, the reason I chose Heath Ledger and the reason I chose the little clip of him talking about why he uses a knife, that is the intricacy of Heath Ledger's Joker. There was such depth to that character, and there's always, always, always going to be that little bit extra coming from Heath. And I felt so invested in Heath's Joker that any time that he makes, uh, when he has the screen to himself, he demands the screen. And when he's talking about that, he's tempting, he's taunting, this particular scene, he's taunting the cop to try and come at him. He's, he's telling the cop how many of his friends he's killed. And he's asked him, He's asked this cop, um, if he's curious, if this cop is curious, why he uses a knife. And he he speaks about why guns are too quick. And you find out who people really are in their final moments. And that's sort of like, that creeps you out, you know? Because that's, that is the villain in control. And when I use that, obviously, we know that he... Th- his Joker, he eventually takes the cop and he uses this to get out of jail, uh, to get out of where he's being held in The Dark Knight. And this villain, the Joker, obviously it's important to start with that one and I'm sure you guys could have guessed that I was going to start with that one. But the thing is, is why, why is it that when a villain is so in control, like Heath was in The Dark Knight, we're so drawn to that as human beings we love the intricacy we're fascinated well at least I am fascinated by the intricacies of uh, a mind of an anarchist and that's exactly what Heath Ledger's Joker describes himself as as an anarchist an agent of anarchy you know and I I couldn't not throw that in here to start so let's move on to the next big bad the villain taking control
1: the spectacle of fearsome acts. Somebody steals from me, I cut off his hands. He offends me, I cut out his tongue. He rises against me, I cut off his head, stick it on a pike. Raise it high up so all on the streets can see. That's what preserves the order of things.
0: Do you guys recognize that voice? Do you? I'll give you a second to think about it. See if you realized who that was. That's Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis is going to be featured here in two villain roles because although he is one of of my favorite actors to watch, um, his roles are very diverse. And in this specific role, this is in Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. And he plays Bill the Butcher. And if you guys have seen Gangs of New York, you will understand that Daniel Day-Lewis playing the butcher um, against Liam Neeson's Priest Valen in the streets of New York City way back in sort of when New York was founded. There were gangs that fought each other. And Daniel day lewiss character, the butcher, is ruthless. And we learn early on How ruthless the butcher is when he slays Leonardo DiCaprio's father um, early on in the movie, who was Liam Neeson's The Priest. It's a long movie. There's a lot going on, a lot of politics, but there's one thing in this film that I enjoy more than others, and it's Daniel Day Lewis's performance as the butcher. And this specific scene is sort of at the height of the movie when he feels that something's up with Leo. You know, like Leo's dad was killed at a very young age and now Leo is back sort of imitating um, one of the butcher's henchmen or gang members. And he's trying to ultimately kill the butcher. And the butcher is under serious um, suspicion of Leo at this point in the movie. And Leo has just slept with Cameron Diaz, who he has a bit of a romance with throughout the film. But Cameron Diaz is also... Daniel day Lewis's favorite, the butcher's favorite um, in this film. And this scene sort of startles you in a way because Leo wakes up um, after sleeping with Cameron Diaz's character and here's the butcher sitting there, wounded by the previous attack that just occurred. He was shot by somebody who was hired by Leo to try and take him out. And he's sitting there, he's all bandaged up. He's in this rocking chair, holding a knife with his one eye. He's got a wooden eye in this film. And he's got the, he looks, he looks in pain, but he's in this rocking chair and he's holding a knife and he's just sort of rocking, watching Leonardo DiCaprio sleep. And we, the audience, don't know this. Leo wakes up and boom, Daniel Day-Lewis is sitting there. And he, he speaks in this specific scene about how to keep order in the world. He talks about how he takes control by stepping on those who step on him. Anybody who steps on his toes, he's going to get rid of them. And he is a force in this film. And uh, he's easily the MVP. And that that scene specifically sends chills down my spine when I hear him talking about how to maintain order, how to maintain the order of things. It re- He really drives it home. And it's it's important to pay attention to villain monologues like that in the film because it shows how powerful that character is. So I'm going to move on to the very next one here.
1: They tell me your son squealed like a girl when they nailed him to the cross and your wife moaned like a whore when they ravaged her again and again
0: and again that is Commodus from Gladiator. If you haven't seen Gladiator with Russell Crowe, Maximus Aurelius is the main character in this, and he becomes the Gladiator after uh, his, uh, his leader, Marcus Aurelius, uh, passes away. He's killed by Commodus. He's, he's killed in his sleep. Um, it's at the end of, Max, er, of uh, Marcus Aurelius' reign, and um, there was a dream that was Rome, and he wants to give Rome back to the people. But Commodus, his son, knows that he's the successor to the throne if he kills his father. And he does just that after he finds out that Marcus's plan is to actually give Rome to Maximus so that he will give it back to the people. This film, I just watched it again the other day, and I think that Commodus is one of those villains that has the power throughout three-quarters of the film. He really is a threat. Um, he's a baby, he's a whiner, he's... Ultimately, we know that Maximus, Russell Crowe's character, can take him the whole movie, but the build-up, the build-up to when we finally get Maximus killing Commodus at the end is so much better because Commodus is such an asshole throughout the whole film. And in this specific scene that I've put in here, this, this line from Commodus, he's talking about um, the amount of times and the amount of soldiers that he took to Russell Crowe's village and murdered his wife and child. And he talks about many things in this little thing, in this little speech. And um, you can see Maximus getting clearly upset. And I love Russell Crowe's response to this. And Gladiator is a really good hero versus villain movie. Um. Russell Crowe after right after he says, you know, they ravaged her. Again and again, Russell Crowe kind of looks at him and you know the, the score peaks and Russell Crowe goes, The time for honoring yourself will soon be at an end. Highness. And then he walks away. It's just it's it's fun to watch because I think that when I watch films, I think to myself, How would I respond to that? And it's just commodus. Is such an ass in this film, and he's a perfect villain. Walking Phoenix embodies him perfectly. It's a young Walking Phoenix, too. And when you face him against this grittier, older Russell Crowe, who's like a general and respectable and understands what it takes, you know Commodus will come to an end. But how far will Commodus go before Maximus can defeat him? And its Gladiator is is one of the all-time best so I gotta move on to the next villain here or else I'm never gonna move on to the next villain so let's move on to the next quote from a villain that is in control all I have in
1: common with the uncontrollable and the insane the vicious and the evil all the mayhem I have caused and my utter indifference toward it I have now surpassed my pain is constant and sharp And I do not hope for a better world for anyone. In fact, I want my pain to be inflicted on others. I want no one to escape.
0: So this is a good example of Christian Bale in American Psycho. And he plays Patrick Bateman. And Patrick Bateman is more of an internal character where the audience lives in his head for three quarters of the movie, if not the whole movie. We get to see what Patrick is thinking the whole time, and the way that Christian Bale takes on his monologues as Patrick Bateman, we sort of feel the anger and the rage inside his voice and inside the way that he resents people and how they should feel the way that he feels. An American uh, American Psycho is not for everyone. I know when I showed this movie to my wife, she was uh, she was she didn't get it. She didn't get it. It's a, it's it's a long sort of drawn-out movie where you're in the killer's head the whole movie, so you don't really know what's true and what's not. You have sort of a narrator who is unreliable. I do love a good story with an unreliable narrator because we don't know what's actually happening. And then ultimately, in most movies, we get to see what happens or what actually happened as opposed to what the antagonist is feeling in their head or what the antagonist is showing us because we get the perspective only from that of which it's being told and in this case with Patrick Bateman Christian Bale is telling us what's going on inside his head and that's three-quarters of the movie is how he sees it how he deals with his day his routine how he sees women how he sees coworkers, and this movie if it doesn't give you if if there's one thing it doesn't give you it's a definitive ending it's sort of one of those endings where it's, it's left up to your interpretation. And whether this all occurred or didn't occur, or some of it occurred, I love films like that. And Christian Bale, in this specific film, in this specific role, he really embodies a psychopath. And it's fun to sort of delve into the mind of a psychopath. And uh, I couldn't not put Christian's little spiel in here about how he sees people and sees the world and how he wants them to feel what he feels and that's truly what a villain is right they want they want you to feel their pain they want you to maybe not so much that even some of them it's just for fun i mentioned joker being an anarchist he just does it for the fun of it 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 intrigues him it pleases him you know and that's the other side of villains too is there's this sort of what's the term a duping delight if you will to what they do they love doing it or in some cases they don't have a choice and some of the films that we witness with villains we get their soul perspective and that's what we get in american psycho and that's why i put this clip in here amongst all of these villains the next villain I would almost describe as the best. As the top of any list of villains comes the cannibal himself. The one who sent chills down my spine the first time, and still to this day, every time I watch his performance in Silence of the Lambs. This is Hannibal Lecter.
1: What became of your lamb, Glory? I killed. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lambs. Yes. And you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs? I don't know.
0: So at this moment in Silence of the Lambs, when we're talking to Hannibal Lecter, we're shown by Agent Starling's perspective. We're shown in Agent Starling's perspective. And the way that he profiles her in this scene and basically just takes her dream, her nightmare, and just sort of like discovers her deepest, darkest roots of what the trauma could be, why this is, why, you know, you still wake up sometimes, don't you? You know, like he's just Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter is quite easily one of the best villains of all time. And in this specific scene, he not only controls the narrative, but he also controls Agent Starling. And he basically is getting off on the fact that she's having this terrible, terrible trauma about hearing the screaming lambs. And, you know, he, he sort of wraps this story together of how she thinks that she can save this one woman who's missing and maybe, the silent, maybe this will silence the lambs. And every time I hear him, any one of his quotes is Hannibal Lecter, but most importantly, the one that I just shared it does. It makes me freezing. I'm I get goosebumps all over. He is just Anthony Hopkins always always Sir Anthony Hopkins. He is knighted by the way. So that is why he's just one of the best of all time. He just is.
1: What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir, the most you ever lost on a coin toss? I don't know. I couldn't say. Call it. Call it? Yes. For what? Just call it. We need to know what we're calling it for here. You need to call it. I can't call it for you. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. Well, look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? You stand to win everything. Call it. Heads, in. Well done.
0: So here we have Anton Chigurh. Now, this character, played by Javier Barnum in the Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men, is, without a doubt, the closest depiction to a serial killer that we're going to get. He is, without a doubt, it, it's, it's a chilling performance to watch when you watch Javier do this, this character of Anton And just the way that he is, I don't know, he almost kills for sport in a lot of ways. And not just that, but he's always, he's almost like toying with his victims in these coin toss games that he's doing. That specific scene that I've put here, he's in complete control of the scene because He's got this story. He's toying with this guy. This quarter has traveled this long to get to this point, And now your fate lies in the quarter's hand. But it doesn't. It lies in the hands of Anton. But he's just saying the coin toss is going to be everything. It's just chance. He's going to kill this guy if it doesn't go his way. You stand to lose everything, he says. You stand to lose everything. Well, I got to know what I stand to win here or what we're betting on here. You stand to win everything. He's so good in this film. I mean, it's complimentary of Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin. They're incredible in No Country for Old Men. Fun fact about No Country for Old Men, there is no score in that film whatsoever. It is all just the sounds of the film. It's all natural none of it has any sort of background music whatsoever which really puts you in the really puts you in the setting of where they're trying to do this film which is deep in texas but anton chigurh and i mean i think of i thought of putting the scene in in uh this podcast with anton and Woody Harrelson's character. Woody Harrelson's character is basically in town to sort of deal with Anton, deal with the money that's gone missing and stuff. And that scene where Javier Barnum has Woody Harrelson in a hotel room, cornered with a shotgun, it is one of the most tense scenes. And without any music or anything to sort of take your mind away from the bone-chilling quietness of Anton Chigurh in the moments before he fires the shotgun at Woody Harrelson. It is just, yeah, they, they know how to build suspense, the Coen brothers. I will say that for free. And Anton Chigurh is, without a doubt, one of the best villains. Wendy. Stay away, Darling, light
1: of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in.
0: (laughs) Okay, so that's Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I just, I really love that line. For whatever reason, the way he delivers it makes me laugh every time. The Shining is one of those films that is like a little bit outdated for me. I think it would have been a lot cooler back then Jack Nicholson you can see why the guy was cast as as uh, the Joker for 1989 Batman because he just he's a wild card he's unpredictable and that is what makes a good villain is unpredictability and in this particular film he's very unpredictable because he's possessed by the hotel And, uh, yeah, The Shining becomes one of the all-time greats. The next great villain that I have lined up here doesn't need much of an introduction. I mean, this guy comes straight out of the top drawer. And that is Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. And when I listen to this legendary quote from the first Spider-Man in 2002 with Tobey Maguire, it's peak... It's peak Green Goblin content. And I want you guys to pay close attention to how he delivers this line and how he says it and the words that he's saying, because it kind of makes you think and it makes you question whether or not the goblin is actually right in this specific scene. So without further ado, here is Willem Dafoe. I
1: chose my path, you chose the way of the hero. And they found you amusing for a while, the people of this city. But the one thing they love more than
0: a hero is to see a hero fail, fall, die, try. In spite of everything you've done for them, eventually they will hate you. Why bother? Eventually they will hate you. Why bother? And the goblin, the green goblin, was without a doubt the scariest Of the villains of my childhood. It was my first real introduction to a live-action villain on the screen. And uh, let me tell you, Willem Dafoe scared the living shit out of me. I was seven years old. I went with my dad. And we watched, to this day, one of my favorite superhero movies, Spider-Man. And uh, Green Goblin was not only a villain that popped up in that film. He's in the whole series. He's in the whole trilogy. Um, and Willem Dafoe was sort of a character that... Or this character, Norman Osborne and Willem Dafoe playing him, that's my first real memory of watching a film in its entirety and being afraid of... The person on screen. Genuinely. Genuinely first memory of being afraid of the villain on screen. And I'm sure Willem Dafoe still does that for children today. Kids steer clear of Willem Dafoe. Because he's going to scare the shit out of you. And he's damn near the best Green Goblin that we could have gotten. So it's important that he made an appearance in this specific segment of the podcast
1: you could not live with your own failure where did that bring you back to me i thought by eliminating half of life the other half would thrive but you've shown me that's impossible And as long as there are those that remember what was, there will always be those that are unable to accept what can be. They will resist. Yep, we're all kinds of stubborn. I'm thankful. Because now, I know what I must do. I will shred this universe down to its last atom. And then... With the stones you've collected for me, create a new one, teeming with life that knows not what it has lost, but only what it has been given. A grateful universe. Born out of blood. They'll never know it because you won't be alive to tell them.
0: Yeah, so there's Josh Brolin's Thanos. In Avengers Endgame and I used that clip from Endgame because I really thought that this is one of the most powerful moments that Thanos has and it's in the final battle of Endgame he speaks of how he's inevitable he speaks of how he's going to change the plan up a bit and maybe not wipe out half of all Earth but to take out the whole damn thing. And, uh, you know, Josh Brolin really embodied Thanos from the voice up, if that makes sense. It started with the voice, and then it slowly progressed into this CGI villain. And if you think about it, a big purple villain, that's not easy to do. In fact, that's almost laughable when you think about it. But Marvel did it in a way that really worked. And I can't, I can't describe how good of a villain Thanos was. Thanos was not just visually a really good villain, but he was a threat to the entire Avengers for the simple fact that he was the strongest, the most powerful And he sort of could battle with the wizards. He could battle with reality. He could use time. He could do anything. He could jump through space. Like, yeah, like Thanos fights the Hulk in the first scene we see him in Infinity War. And he kicks his ass. He kicks the Hulk's ass. So it's like, you know, they set us up for this big, huge villain this larger-than-life villain, if you will. And that is exactly what is delivered from Josh Brolin. And I love the line in this clip when he says, like right off the bat, he says, you could not live with your own failure. And where did that lead you? Back to me. Such... Good line for a big bad. And I hope Marvel gets back on that train here. And we get another good villain. Let's close this thing out. Let's bring this thing home. I got one final. One final clip. For when the villains have control. Complete control. I hope you enjoy this one. I'm going to let this one play out and see how you guys feel. This is an all-time villain for me. This one is an all-time villain because it's a realistic villain. And it's J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. And he is, without a doubt, the most abusive teacher that you can think of. An abusive music teacher towards this poor young Miles Teller, a drummer, trying to be the very best drummer in the world and it's uh it's a film and a half damien chazelle comes through with one of the all-time villains in my opinion and jk simmons embodies a villain listen to his acting this this this, this particular this particular role won him an oscar for best supporting uh actor so without further ado here is Mr. J.K. Simmons, not as J. Jonah Jameson, but rather the musical teacher in Whiplash.
1: Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. Start counting. Five, six, seven, in four! Five, damn it! Look at me. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, one, two, three one. Now, was I rushing or was I dragging? I Count again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Rushing or
0: dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference. Yeah, he's an absolute asshole in this film, and he plays such a hard-nosed teacher. He is unbelievably good in this film, and he's intimidating. He got his physique big. He got his sort of, he's, he's completely clean-shaven along with his bald head. And J.K. Simmons embodies this asshole of a character. And those sounds that you hear in that clip is him slapping Miles Teller across the face, counting in four, in fourths. And he's slapping him across the face, asking him if he is rushing or dragging. It is the method of teaching that he uses. Whiplash deals with a lot of different context and a lot of different content along the lines of how far does a teacher push it? Or how far can a teacher push it to get what he needs out of his star pupil? And Whiplash is one of the all-time greats so i'm glad it got the appraise or i'm glad it got the praise that it did get and i'm glad that it won the awards that it won because jk simmons closes out this episode of comic book movie guide the podcast episode 63 on the 63rd episode of comic book movie Guide the podcast this has been a villain episode this has been when the villain has the power I mean, there are so many great villains out there. Too many, in fact, to fit into my little segment that I like to do on this podcast. So I decided I'm going to splice together a bunch of honorable mentions at the very end of this episode. This has been episode 63 of Conflict Movie Guy, the podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. It's been a nice discussion. It's been nice talking to you. And I will talk to you guys very soon on the next episode of Conflict Movie Guy, the podcast. Take care.
1: Stop crying, you sniveling ass. Stop your nonsense. You're just afterbirth, Eli. No. Slithered out on your mother's filth. They should have put you in a glass jar on the mantelpiece. Oh, you think darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Moulded by it, I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then it was nothing to me but blinding. The shadows betray you because they belong to me. I will show you where I have made my home whilst preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. Your precious armory, gratefully accepted. We will need it. I was wondering what would break first. Your spirit. Oh your buddy! It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair. You thought we could be decent men in an indecent time. If you're wrong, the world is cruel. The only morality in a cruel world is chance, unbiased, unprejudiced, fair. I'm comic book movie guy.